0: Welcome to Motherbirth. I'm your host, Melissa Reeves, and I'm a holistic coach, doula, and healer. Join me and inspiring guests as we share the stories, wisdom, and transformation of motherhood and invite you to step courageously down the path of your own birth as a mother. Lisa here, and I've got a really special guest today, someone that I've been admiring and interacting with from afar for a long time and just feel like her work is so, so essential in the space of motherhood and pregnancy. And today we have Parijat Deshpande. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, Awesome. Um, she is going to talk to us today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of good stuff, including high risk pregnancy and how women can, um, not just cope with that situation, but actually thrive in that situation. We're going to talk about trauma and healing and the nervous system, and we're going to get into her story. So Patty Jot, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: yeah um so I am a mind body health specialist women working with women before during and after high risk pregnancy and that work really came about after my own experience with infertility loss a very high risk pregnancy, extremely preterm delivery, and many months in the NICU with mm-hmm. my son and it just feels like the work that i'm put on this earth to do mm-hmm. you know and it's such a roundabout route that i got here um starting from being a kid wanting to and imagining Growing up and becoming an OBGYN, mm. going to college and realizing chemistry and I don't get along very well and finding this route through psychology, clinical psychology, not quite finding my place in that field. And then this personal experience kind of combining the two, my passion for women's health and um the way that we can connect the mind-body experience to actually improve not only mental health but physical health during one of the scariest times of a mother-to-be or mother's life. And it's just such a powerful experience, and I'm just loving being able to do it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I feel like for – Pretty much all of us. It's our personal life experiences that either really cause us to course correct or or really amplify the journey that we're already on. And and I so relate mm, so to so true. Um, can you tell us a little bit more? Let's kind of start with with your story. It sounds like you had quite the experience and and no, you know, with the path that you were on and how you interacted with infertility, with loss, and then a really high risk pregnancy. Can you just kind of take us a little a little into that journey for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were one of those couples that knew we would have fertility challenges before we started trying for a family. So we we didn't have the the more common experience of we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, nothing's happening, what's going on? Um, I was in my 20s when we first saw a reproductive endocrinologist because we knew there would be problems. And um, we just didn't realize the extent of what would happen Mm -hmm. and how much it would impact us. And we went through – I was very lucky that I was able to get pregnant uh, the first time for both when I did IUI and IVF. IUI, uh, we lost that baby. But with IVF, I got pregnant with my son immediately, and it was just riddled with complications just before I even – knew I was pregnant. I had already developed one complication from the IVF treatment. And it just kind of snowballed from there to a total of, I think it ended up being eight complications. I was on bed rest from week six of my pregnancy at home until week 22. And at 22 weeks and four days, I landed in the hospital, three centimeters dilated. And, um, it was at that point when my my team, my medical team, was just phenomenal. And I, I always say if I ever had to do that again, I would hire them all again. I would find them wherever they are around the country and say, you guys have to come back. Uh, I love them. But it really, it was that experience in the hospital that opened my eyes to the, the critical nature of having a mind-body team. Mm. During, especially during a high-risk pregnancy because when I landed in that hospital, it was in the middle of the night. So the next morning, my MFM, which is the high-risk OB, came. My OB came. The nurses were in there. And they were counseling us uh, to prepare ourselves that we are probably going to lose this baby. Yeah. And this was already after five complications. And we just, they, we'd just we been through so much. And they'd seen how much we'd been through. And they were devastated on our behalf, too. It wasn't that they were handling it very clinically but based on what they knew, this was not looking good. Right. And in that moment, I remember saying in my head, I will not let stress be the reason that he is born early. Mm-hmm. If he's born early for any other reason, I will be okay with that. Right. Or okay in the sense of, you know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't want stress to be an impact on that. And, and it was really in that experience that I – I could see, the nurses could see, the doctors could see that when I released the tension in my body, the monitor showed the the contraction stopped. Wow. Yeah. And that is despite being on medication to manage my contractions. And it just became this hugely eye-opening experience of – what if I hadn't had this training to know this? Mm. How many women are out there believing that, well, if if this is what it is, this is what it is, when there are tools that they can have to actually prolong pregnancy, even if it's for a few days. Right. And for me, it prolonged pregnancy for um, 15 days. Wow. 15 days longer than they thought I would stay pregnant. Is how long I stayed pregnant. It was still extremely early. Right. You know, he was still born at, at
0: that 22, 23 week
1: mark. Absolutely. All the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Wow. And that's when I knew it was a Wednesday. It was two days before my son was born. I didn't know he was going to be born, but it was a Wednesday. And I had this unusually quiet moment where there just wasn't this bustle of people around. And I kind of snuck my hand on my tiny little belly between the two monitors. I was basically covering my whole belly, you know, Mm -hmm. so early. And I felt him move. And I said to him out loud in that moment, I will never forget that moment, said, if you and I survive this and we get to go home, I have to change my career and I have to come back and we've got to help women know the power of their bodies. Mm because nobody's doing it. And we, I just can't live with myself knowing that there's something they can do. Even if you're adding an extra day to your pregnancy, it means everything. Yeah.
0: That's so powerful. I just got, I just got goosebumps. (laughs) You know, we've had, we've had shared so many stories on this podcast and um, just, I think that your story is, is obviously unique and you know that it's unique. Um, but it's also part of why it seems so unique is because like you're saying, this is not something that people know about. People don't know that, that we all have access to, to this kind of connection, right? This ability to actually connect our, our minds, our bodies, our spirits to, to actually like create that that exchange that that allows us to function on a different level that's really powerful so can you take us a little bit behind the scenes of what that looked like like how what were some of the ways that you actually tapped into that that space of of you know letting go of the tension and and being present and connected like what what did that actually look like for you
1: sure it to be really honest it was extremely basic because i was on magnesium mm-hmm. at the time and for any of your listeners that know what that's like, uh, I describe it like your head's on fire while the rest of your body is submerged in ice and a truck is running over your face. Oh. Like it's just awful. So, any kind of complex thinking was not available to me at that time. Yeah. So, literally, all I did was I turned my body into jelly. Mm. I, it was just like that, it was so basic. Now, of course, now with my clients, I can actually teach them more complex tools, and they're not complicated yeah. by any means, but a little more sophisticated <laughs> tools than that beyond that. But really, when it comes down to it, and if you don't know what else to do, that works. Mm-hmm. It really works. And we could see it on the monitor through the medications, no matter what, until it was time to deliver my son. Every time I did that, the contraction stopped. And Every time I didn't and, you know, some thought would pop into my head or I'd freak out about something or like, oh, my God, it only, it's only been two hours. I thought a whole day had passed by. How are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, contractions would spike back up again. You could see it on the monitors.
0: Well, and the, and the beauty of what you're describing is is not specific to – you know stopping contractions in in labor it has what you're describing yes. it has the exact opposite effect and we know that when you yes. surrender and and release that tension actually their contractions are are more um effective and they actually work with their bodies instead of resisting the process yes. right so so what you're describing so true is yep it could have so many different implications and applications in terms of the, yeah the actual result right because for every not you know for every woman that's experiencing either a complication in pregnancy or you know approaching delivery or you know or suffering with you know postpartum depression or whatever it is the, it's going to look really different how this mind body connection is actually going to impact them and and benefit them
1: exactly Right. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that about being in labor because this is these are exactly the same tools I teach my clients through pregnancy are the same ones that they use as they prepare for delivery. Yeah. And the amazing part about that you mentioned already is that it actually aids in the ease, so to speak, of delivery itself, and it protects against developing birth trauma right. because you are now completely present in your body, allowing your body to do what it needs to do. And when you come at it from this, what we call relaxed body state, you can't experience trauma. Right. The it's, system, it's physically yeah, impossible. The
0: sympathetic nervous system is, is not like being triggered in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's completely offline. So- and so you you physically cannot experience trauma, which is mind blowing and so amazing it's, to me.
0: It's really incredible. And you know, if you think back to childbirth without fear, um, I always I always say his name wrong. Brantly Dick, mm-hmm. Dick Reed, I think, was his name. Um, that you know he he came up with that theory of the the cycle of of fear, tension, pain. Right. And so yes, it, you can you can. Break that cycle in a number in a number of entry points, but really the the place to break the cycle is with the tension, right? like if you can release the tension yes hundred percent you will uh, you will actually you know it, you will experience the physical sensations differently, which means that it won't produce fear, which means that you won't react to, with tension, you know to resist yeah, I, I mean, it's really it's really yeah. powerful I'm, I'm it's so powerful yes yeah. and and I love what you said too about um not you actually physically can't experience trauma if you're in if you're in your parasympathetic nervous system. And maybe you can you know for for people that are listening, maybe let's just talk a little bit about what that means. Like what are these pieces of the nervous system? How does trauma actually happen? Um, do you want to just kind of maybe do a little a little primer on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So we'll keep it really simple because it actually is very simple. There's two different aspects to your nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. When we are in the face of a trigger of any kind, it it does not matter what it is. It could be the doorbell ringing and you know it's your in-laws or it could be landing in the hospital If for um, monitoring, because you're having pre-germ contractions, it could be being chased by a wild dog down your street. Like it really does not matter what that trigger is. When you have a trigger, the best example I can think of that we've all probably been through is you're driving and you think the car next to you is about to swerve into Mm -hmm. your lane, right? Your sympathetic nervous system goes on and it goes all the way high, right? And it goes, save yourself is kind of the point of it. And it gets you super focused to figure out a plan to keep yourself alive, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes we call it, you know, fight or flight or freeze. Um, it really is about one thing only, which is keeping yourself yeah, safe. Now, say that c- self-preservation, absolutely. So uh, maybe you swerve the car just enough to get out of the way and then everything calms mm-hmm. down, right? There is nothing wrong with the activation of that sympathetic nervous right. system. That is meant to keep us alive and to keep us safe. And so it's activated. We, we get ourselves out of danger. And then the other side flips on, the parasympathetic nervous system. They both cannot be on at the same time. It's this beautiful system where it is one or mm-hmm. the other. So once the threat is gone, right, the car is back in its lane, you're back in your lane, and you go, whoa, oh, my gosh, thank goodness, Right, you have that feeling, and that is the shift. The sympathetic nervous system goes offline, parasympathetic nervous system comes online, and it helps you repair. What does that mean? It brings your heart rate back down, right? Because your heart's just beating out of your chest by that point. Because you thought you might have gotten into a car accident, it it stops the um, the. The perspiration that you might have experienced throughout your body, it gets you back from super intense tunnel vision focus to expanding your vision to include your peripheral vision again, Uh, So and it relaxes your body. It relaxes your body, and in that parasympathetic nervous system... When that is in in the dominant state, there are also changes down to the cellular level for the repair that needs to happen when the sympathetic nervous system had to be on. And so it brings you just back to baseline, back to your just average state that you need to be in overall. And so this is, I think, what gets tricky when we talk about stress is we think stress is the problem. Stress is not the problem. And I say this in my book. If uh, For any of your listeners who've read Pregnancy Brain, you'll know that this sounds familiar. Stress is not the problem. We are meant to experience high levels, very high levels we can tolerate of the activation of our sympathetic nervous right. system. The problem is when we can't turn that off to allow the other one to come back online. That's the issue.
0: Right. And and I love the example you gave. And I'd like to just share a little story because this just happened to me on Friday. Um and I think you know one of the ways that I that I think about and teach about the the nervous system and trauma in particular is that you know trauma that gets stored in our bodies that becomes latent and and you know is continually retriggered, which happens yes. to others all the time through birth trauma, through loss, through all of these different things. Um, that gets stored because exactly. we haven't actually discharged the energy from that experience, right? We haven't actually gone back into that parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous state, and so there's a lot of times we think like, oh, well, you know, I'm not like, you know, let's use that car example. And this is the story that I'll tell. So on Friday, my son and I were on our, I picked him up from um, camp and we were on our way home and we were turning in this intersection and a car coming the other way. Mm. I mean, narrowly missed completely you know, at full speed um, crashing into the passenger side of my car where of course my son was sitting and we didn't, We did not get in a wreck, but it was very close and it would have been a serious, serious wreck. Um, And, you know, my son obviously didn't fully understand the implications of it, you know, but we were both very Mm -hmm. rattled by the experience. And and so we, you know, kept going through the intersection, kept driving. And I distinctly had this feeling of like, I'm going to pull over and actually discharge this experience because i could tell that even though the emergency was over and even though i could on a intellectual level understand that we were no longer in danger my like those those stress hormones were still just coursing through my veins i was mm-hmm. like actually shaking you know and, and i wanted to um part of me like wanted to just like right. oh, just keep driving let's just get home but i realized like i have this opportunity to actually like a- allow the intensity of what just happened to sit with that for a minute, and then to actually allow it to go. And I also have an opportunity to model yes. this to my son, right? Like, what does it look like to be in in what was a scary situation, and to return yes. to that baseline, right? To return to that parasympathetic nervous system. So we pulled over, we did some deep breathing together, we thanked Spirit for protecting us, and we like just sat with it for a little bit, and then we drove home, and it was like completely Completely discharged. And so the, the, you know, this comes back to what you did during your, you know, your preterm, um, hospital stay, right. Where you're actually, you're actually intentionally and actively engaging in the process
1: of returning to baseline of
0: discharging, like closing that cycle, right.
1: Exactly. And so I hope as yeah. as your listeners are hearing this, that they see this, when we call stress management, is not just about feeling better. It's not just about feeling calmer in mm. your head and coping. It is really about helping your body thrive through some of the hardest moments of your life so that long-term, you have healing. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's amazing work and our bodies are so powerful. That's the, that's what I love about this. There's nothing special about this. We're literally just helping our bodies do what they do naturally. That's the coolest part about this.
0: Right. Yeah, that's I find that really really beautiful and fascinating as well that you know the the heightened state of you know of stress that we live in in modern society is very much obviously a product of of modern society and and the reason that we stay in that is not because we not because we don't have the innate ability and knowledge to, you know, to to um, manage that, but because we are so disconnected from that ability. Exactly, right? and, and it's like you're saying it's not that difficult to do. Like, yes, there are some there are some you know things you can learn, and and some of it yep. may seem. Um, not instinctive at this point because we're so disconnected from, yes. from that of being, but it actually to our nervous system is entirely instinctive.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's like I tell my clients, what I'm going to teach you is very simple. It is mind-blowingly simple, but it's not easy to do because we have been do- doing the opposite for mm-hmm. decades in our life. And so we're literally having to retrain our bodies to go back to what they what we were born to be able to do naturally that we kind of overrode with the messages from the world.
0: Right. And, and I'd love to hear, you know, cause I know one of, one of the ways that you work so much with women is, is in helping them, um, interact with a high risk pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, these, these complications or these factors are, are inherent to your experience. Um, and, and how can you thrive despite that? Like not just, you know, and that's, that's the work I do too. Like you maybe maybe a woman has experienced loss and a lot of times the women that have experienced loss or trauma or are facing a high risk pregnancy, their mindset is like, this is going to be terrible. I will just have to like, you know, cope. I will just have to get and, you know, hope every day that something terrible doesn't happen. And I think the work that both you and I are committed to is saying that it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't necessarily mean the complication or the risk goes away It's but it's that you can interact with it in a very, very different way. So, so thinking of that work that you do with women in, you know, in, in high risk situations where there are, there are complications that are, that are, um, we can't deny that they're there. Um, how do you, how do you really invite women in from, from a place of maybe, you know, fear and anxiety into, into exploring this in a different way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the commonality, and we kind of touched on this earlier, the commonality that we all have after experiencing something like that and then going through it again, right, going through fertility treatment again, trying to get pregnant after prematurity, after loss, after high-risk pregnancy, anything like that, is we have, one, lost our basic sense of safety. And that's really related to a lot of that, the nervous system talk that we, we had before. We don't feel safe in our own bodies, And when we don't feel safe in our own bodies, the only thing that our brain is trying to do is keep us safe. And so no amount of other tools are going to help us until we reestablish safety. And so for all of my clients, every single one, this is the first piece that we work on. How can you feel safe in your body again? Because nothing, there's literally nothing else I can tell you. You can Google all you want. You can work with all the people you want, but it's not going to stick it's not going to stick. And every single time that you then have an appointment or you go to the bathroom or you take a pregnancy test or you wait for blood work results, that anxiety and that fear is going to shoot back up again. Mm -hmm. And I always say to my clients, you know, if you're ready to actually let that go and feel safe again, it's absolutely possible. And again, it's it's simple, but it's not easy to do. And so we do that work together. Mm -hmm. Tied very closely with that is then we also don't trust our bodies. And I, gosh, I've, Really struggled with this for a long time. I was angry with my body. Like you can't do anything. You can't get pregnant. You can't stay pregnant. And then later, I I couldn't even um produce enough milk. Mm-hmm. I was angry. There's no trust. There's no trust. And so, how do you rebuild that trust with your body? It's the same way that you rebuild trust in a relationship where somebody has betrayed you. You have to feel safe with that person first, right? So you've got to feel safe in your body first. And from there, what I like to teach is showing, uh, and, uh, showing them how they can experience a control of their bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Because we become, when we have a traumatic experience, whatever that might be, in this case, let's say high-risk pregnancy or preterm delivery, birth trauma of some kind, we dissociate from our bodies We no longer turn inward to notice what's happening in our bodies. That is not by choice. That is how our brains work neurologically. There are structures in the brain where their their only job is to do almost, if you can imagine, like like an internal scan of how's everything going? How's it going? What's going on? Everything okay? Good. Great. And that's all they do, all day long, every single day for the rest of our lives. When we experience a traumatic event, those brain structures go offline. They are not available to us. And when we can't discharge that energy like you're talking about, they don't come back online. And so we have to literally retrain the body to say, it's safe for me to look inside again. It's safe for those brain structures to come back online, so to speak, right? Right. And when we can do that, then we can start creating experiences. And that's what I want my clients to experience, right, is – What they've been through is something that's felt so out of control. Nobody wants their baby to be born preterm, right? Nobody wants to experience complications. Nobody wants these things, experience loss and all of that. But we have it, and it happens, and it feels like it happens to us. Mm -hmm. And so I like them to relearn and become reacquainted with their bodies to say, when I do X, Y happens every single time. And we recreate that pattern and that predictability because in predictability, there is control, there's power. And when we can have that, then in the midst of what might be a chaotic situation, complications, bed rest, being in the hospital, constant blood work, whatever that might be, we can still see and disengage from what what those test results are or what the outcome is going to be. And we can say, in this despite the chaos when i do x y will happen
0: every time right and the control then becomes about not the external factors that we cannot control right right but instead our our ability to be responsive instead of reactive in that situation.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And the beautiful part about this is when it pertains to pregnancy complications is you start to see symptom relief or sometimes complications disappear completely. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful our bodies are, is in conjunction with medical treatment, right? I'm not at all saying that this has to happen separate from that or that medical treatment is not necessary. No way. But in conjunction with that, we can actually see symptom relief or symptom disappearance completely yeah and and what i like to share with people is we do all of this so that whatever happens you know you did everything you could because we don't know if your baby's going to come early or not. We don't know what the situation's going to be. We don't know if the baby's going to need to be in the NICU or not. But we can stack the deck in your favor mm-hmm. so you never have to look back and go, what if I had done something different?
0: Right. Yeah. And and no matter – like, that's just the <laughs> – isn't that the crux of motherhood? I mm-hmm. mean, at any stage, you know, I have a 10-year-old now and it's, like, very easy to look back at, oh, what if we had – like, you know, what if I had – Handled that situation differently, like yeah, we right. You know, we wouldn't be dealing with this this emotional thing now, or
1: right. You know, with
0: my two year old like biting. You know, like there's just no matter where you're at in the journey, it's very. We're so prone to yeah to that critical self evaluation of like, you know, what what have I done or what have I not done? You know, to to cause or impact this. And I think that the ability to to if, if there's anything to disassociate from, it's that, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah, that right. sort of relationship to to the journeys that we're on as mothers because they are incredibly complex. And even for the women listening to this who have had, you know, simple, straightforward pregnancies and and not, you know, feel like compared to what Parijat is describing or, you know, some of the other stories that you've heard, you're like, gosh, well, I don't really have anything to complain about. The reality is, and I love how you shared that it could be, you know, to the nervous system, the, you know, your in-laws ringing the doorbell or the email from, you know, your boss that you, you know, I mean, it, those are, those are as alarming to the nervous system as the tiger chasing us. Right. Exactly. And and that's part exactly. of the problem in our modern society is that we have so many of those, like this constant input of, of you know, stress triggers that, that now your email inbox is as stressful as like a, you know, a, a, a hunt in the jungle.
1: Yeah, <laughs> really.
0: Exactly. You know, that's unfortunate, but it's also, it, it can be an invitation for us to, to really develop these tools that you're talking about, because how else are we going to survive? And I think, I think of what you just described as, you know, also it, for people that, that are in a high risk, pregnancy situation or you know dealing with some kind of birth trauma or you know even just experiencing fear about a future situation many people listening to the show are maybe you know have experienced some of these things and would like to you know to try and have another baby but I just feel like I can't even go there it's just too overwhelming it's way it, it's way too scary and ultimately doing this work allows you like, it's like the foundation for healing in your life. And if Mm -hmm. any, if motherhood is an invitation to anything, it's to healing the things that, that are deeply inside of us, because ultimately these triggers that come up, you know, when you experience triggers during pregnancy, during birth, during postpartum, during, you know, parenthood, a lot of the times what's being triggered is something that was actually already inside of us, a fear that was already inside of us, you know, something that happened to us in childhood, in adolescence that is just, has been, you know, unaddressed, unexplored. And these triggers are these beautiful invitations to actually healing and releasing those things that have been with us for so long. And so I think every, you know, every little, every little moment on the journey that gives us that, that opportunity is gold as terrible as it, as it feels in the moment, you know, hmm Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your NICU experience and, and transitioning to, to motherhood after that? I mean, not after that, but what that
1: whole piece of the journey looked like? Yeah. That was – it was awful. I won't sugarcoat it. Mm. Uh, when my son was born, he was born at 24 weeks and five days. And uh, we knew the stats, you know, the The doctors were coming in every single day updating the stats for this and that and what his chance of survival was and his chance of, you know, just all kinds of things, all kinds of complications coming up and all that. It was the hardest marathon that I've ever run, Mm. ever. And uh, what we ended up doing was, you know, I had to stop working when I landed on bed rest six weeks into my pregnancy. So I didn't have a job. And so I was able to be at the NICU all day, Mm -hmm. every day. And I was advocating for him. I was right there with him, taking notes every single day, monitoring his medications, monitoring his feeds, monitoring everything, and trying to figure out how to bond with this little baby that for a little more than two months we didn't even know would survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was very, very painful. Uh, that experience was very isolating. We created a world in the NICU that became our world, but it was—it really felt like we had been taken out of our, our familiar world and placed in a completely different one. And the the difficulty there was the people on the outside really just did not understand. And how could they? I would never have understood had I not been inside right. Behind those double doors, um, and what was going on behind there, and it really created a separation, which makes it hard to to get the support that you need, because the people you used to turn to don't understand, even if they're trying to, mm-hmm. and they're very well meaning. It's they just don't know what it's like to watch your child fight for his life every moment of every day, waiting for that phone call to ring, uh, bracing yourself in case it does ring, and all of that. Well,
0: and partly the. The nature of that experience is so physically isolating, right? Especially, you know, absolutely. Thriving, like you, you're just at the NICU all day long. Even your best friend in the world that really wants to support you and be with you. So much of the support that we experience in community is presence, right? Exactly. And people can't even be present with you. <laughs> like that's yeah. just, that just disables yeah. so much of the experience of support that, that we are both accustomed
1: to and actually need, right? Need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the added factor too is if you get sick, you can't go to the NICU. Mm. And so, and he was born right at the beginning of flu season. And so we were extremely careful about who we were around and who could come visit us at home. Um, not that we were even home that often, but still. Yeah. We were extremely careful, and so that added another layer of isolation, too, as well. I'd love to see you. Timing works out, but you have the sniffles, and I really don't want to take that into the unit when I go tomorrow. Yeah. So, And that isolation continued after he came home. We were very, very, very lucky with how well he did in the NICU. He came home the day after his due date. And, um, and then because it was flu season, because he was a 24-weeker, because he had a uh, Pretty much non-existent immune system and lung disease and a whole host of other issues. We were on lockdown for two and a half years wow. to protect him and really set him up for success health-wise for the rest of his life. Mm. And I think that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Mm that much isolation for that long was extremely challenging i can't even imagine that it's
0: really really difficult to think about i mean for me the, yeah. the experience of motherhood is i have i have thrived you know largely because of communal support yeah.
1: And that's how it should be. That's how it's meant to be. Yeah. So, how did you what what were the tools
0: that you used during that time to really you know, protect yourself from from the effects of that kind of isolation and and continuing to um you know, support yourself in in a way that allowed you to thrive as a mother long term? Yeah.
1: To be honest, I don't know that I did it very well. I was so caught up in the day to day. You know, when you bring home a baby that was born that early, it's extremely busy once you come home. You've got multiple specialist appointments a week, you've got therapies to do at home. Um, I chose to pump. So I was exclusively pumping for over a year. And there was really no time. And I kind of, Without really consciously being aware of it, I kind of just kind of threw myself into mm-hmm. the job of caring for my son. And it felt good because I could finally do it. You know, we'd fought so hard to have him home and it gave me something to do and to focus on. And it was several months into it uh, when I realized this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. I do love that he's here. I, I don't mind at all being the person that his kind of his advocate and his his person, that his therapist, his nurse, his, you know, I was his everything trying to coordinate services and and doing all of the exercises at home to help him with his development and all that. But I had completely neglected me, completely neglected me. And it came out through my health, right? We're talking about the mind-body connection. It's real. And so the not being able to come down from that sympathetic arousal and have an opportunity to prepare and heal came out through uh, health complications that I developed once he came home. And that was a huge wake-up call for me to say, look, we survived this all. Yes, we're in still a tenuous state, but I want to be around to watch him grow and thrive and enjoy the life that we fought together to give him. And so it really shifted to, number one, asking for help, but being really mindful also that we're not in a situation where we could just ask anybody. So being really really uh, compassionate with ourselves and saying, okay, we're okay with having limited people around, but when we identify who those are, let's ask for help. Let's ask for food. Let's ask for people to come by and swing by. Let's ask for people to spend time with him. Um, One of the things that helped tremendously was FaceTime. Mm, Yeah. Especially during the winters when everybody is sick and we just could not risk any of that. We had so many FaceTime dates and play dates over the computer, over the phone or the tablet because it was our connection. And those moments, they were my lifeline, my lifeline. I loved it. And they made me so happy. And I think he could feel that as, oh, mom's changing a little bit. (laughs) She's not just this intense go, go, go task oriented person anymore. She's having moments of joy. And that was huge. Hmm. That's beautiful.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I I think I think postpartum is isolating for most women, and there's a mm-hmm. there's certainly a spectrum there of of circumstance, right? Um, but I think that what you're sharing is relevant to anyone, no matter whether they brought home an immune-compromised NICU baby or not. You know, just the ability mm-hmm. to to really set up. It, you know, it might not look like the playdates at the park for everyone that you that you right. envisioned or dreamed of or or wanted to feel good but just doesn't right but how can you find what does feel good and what does work for your family that does enable you to thrive i'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts yeah. on um in both in your own experience and in your work with women this is something that comes up a lot for me in my work with women is the relationship to information right so like meaning you know, you're high risk. You're you're a woman who's pregnant, and you have complications or the potential for complications. Um, and then your relationship to the information around that. So monitoring, testing. Um, you know, the the Google rabbit holes that we go down. You know, the ways that we really kind of amplify the fears and concerns that we or our care providers might have, and and can re- and, and the effect that I experience and observe that having is often really. Um, prolonging that, prolonging and sort of sustaining that sympathetic arousal, right? Where you're you're just kind of yeah. constantly like re re upping that like little hit of like oh shit, what's gonna happen? Oh shit, oh that could happen. Oh shit, oh sh- oh shit that could happen. Like yeah. you know what I mean? So that relationship to information, how do you navigate that, and how do you encourage women to navigate that?
1: Yeah. You'll see in uh, Pregnancy Brain, I shared a little moment that I had with with that exactly. I was somebody who loved to spend all my time on Mm -hmm. PubMed. And that's genuinely because I love reading research. So this didn't feel that hard to me. But when you're in the moment as a patient, it becomes very personal. It's very different. (laughs) So uh, I was that person who just was on information overload. And there was a, a point in the pregnancy when I was on bed rest at home when I was like, you've got to cut yourself off. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've literally read every article in the first 10 pages of this search result. There's nothing left for you. Stop. There's no more information. And s- no more. <laughs> you've reached the end of the internet. So um, well, there's always the
0: dark I, web, but let's
1: not. Oh, <laughs> I did not know about this back then, but you're right. <laughs> So I I put a timer on for myself, and every day I gave myself some some amount of time. I said, "Go free, twenty minutes. Just go free, go do it." And then after that, turn it off and watch something on Netflix. Just do it, you know. And that's what I did for myself. That works to an extent, but let's be honest, right? You're like you're saying. There's a compulsion there that I could be watching something on Netflix. I think I've discovered Desperate Housewives for the first time <laughs> when I was on Better. I binge the whole series. Um, you're watching the show and there's still the back of your head's going, oh, yeah, but what about? Right. Oh, but what if, what if I search this combination yeah. of phrases? Right. I haven't looked at that one yet. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> what if I Google, Hives, and yeah, P-M-C-A. is there a connection? Right, right. <laughs> exactly so what i teach my clients now after having learned this having been Definitely. through it myself the hard way really uh is you've got to one you've got to feel safe in your body first two you've got to have a relaxed body so that and the reason for that is because we go back to kind of the neurology of this When your stress response is on, that sympathetic nervous system is on, the part of your brain at the front, the neocortex, the part where we think and make judgment calls, Mm -hmm. is gone. It is literally offline. Because if you think about it, when you're being chased by a bear, there's no time to make pro-con lists about what to do, right? It needs to be instinctive. And as you said, the searching on Google is the same biologically to us as being chased by a bear so that part of our brain's gone so we cannot make quote-unquote good decisions because we can't make decisions at all in that Mm -hmm. state so with my clients i teach them get into you know feel that safety first get back into that relaxed body state and then once that part of your brain's back online think about it do i really need this or not Mm -hmm. most of the time we go oh yeah i guess i don't need this there are times when we still do, right. and that's okay. And when that happens, I tell my clients, then go look for it. Or if you want me to search for you, I will do that for you. The whole point of this work is to stop resisting, mm. right? Because that resistance is where we get that blockage and when we get that stuckness. And so I always tell them, if, if after your neocortex is back online, so to speak, and you still feel like yes i really do want this information then don't resist it go look for it put a timer on or ask me to do it or search for you know put some parameters around it yeah and then go look because if you don't you will not be able to get into that relaxed body state again it won't happen cuz now the not looking has created that sense of arousal which is what we're trying to right. avoid we want you to get back into that parasympathetic dominance that's that's the whole goal of all right. of this
0: yeah and i think there's for me one of the things that has become really helpful and that I also work with women around is kind of creating this hierarchy of how you're going to go about getting that information because if we just go straight to the like you know the crazy word combination google search like it's pretty rare that mm. the information we're actually going to obtain is going to be either quality or or actually useful to us yeah. You know, so yeah, absolutely. So I think it's it's totally about the balance between we don't want we don't want people that are disconnected from you know the the experience and the information that they need about the experience that they're having, but we would also don't want people that are you know in in that state of arousal and and having information overload and potentially information like bad information overload, right? Irrelevant or unuseful right. or right. triggering information overload. And so, like, what's what's the What's your protocol? Like I actually have women kind of sign this like this, you know, this um, agree it's and it's not really an agreement, but you know, this outline of okay, if if you have done exactly what you're talking about, like if you are in a place where you're like, no, i really i do i'm I'm thinking about this, and this I really need this information. I want this information. How can you reach out to? Potentially a care provider or someone that you trust, and have a conversation about it. How can you, um, you know, potentially outline certain resources that you know are trustworthy to search? You know, I talk to women all the time. One of you know the p- big postpartum struggles that women have is around breastfeeding, and you know you mm-hmm. you get you get caught up in a breastfeeding issue, and you start googling that stuff. You're going to go down a crazy rabbit hole. So, what does it look like to identify mm-hmm. a couple of online resources that you know are trustworthy that you will go to that site and search there in their search bar instead of in the google search bar right like oh i love that and and really Mm -hmm. being kind of um vigilant with yourself about that because the effects are so dramatic and you know i experienced severe postpartum anxiety after my first son was born and Mm -hmm. i know the spiral (laughs) of insanity that it causes and 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 you just are so stuck in that state of arousal and you, and you, and then you become paranoid, right? And it's, you can't even, you can't even rational, you can't get back into what you're describing that, that neocortex, um, that ability to actually rationalize or, or make conscious decisions that are going to have a positive impact on, on your life. And on, in this case, like we're talking about your pregnancy or your, you know, whatever, wherever in that journey you are. So. I'm, I really wanted to ask you that because I feel like it's, it's just such a tricky thing to think, to think about and to talk about because we don't want to tell women, like, don't you dare Google anything. But at the same time, it's no. so important to have a proper relationship to information.
1: Um, That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. And it sounds like we're, on, we're absolutely on the same page is there is a balance between doing it yeah. out of compulsion and totally. being an informed patient or an informed parent, right? His being informed is wholly critical to having good health care, right? I think, exactly, it's so empowering. And I imagine there are a lot of your listeners who, because of their information gathering, have gotten better health care because they knew what to ask, and they realized something was off, and they trusted that. And it really is about going from going from one side, which is I have to do this, I have to look, I can't stop myself, to no, I know this is really the right thing for me. And one of the things that I help my clients do is kind of taking it one step beyond that is, okay, great, you found this. Let's now craft the questions in a way that you can ask your physician in a way that they will actually answer Mm -hmm. you in your next appointment. And let's get you the real information about your specific situation regarding this information. And then you have exactly right. what you need. And then
0: using these same tools that you're talking about of, okay, now you have this information. Sometimes the information that we get is actually alarming, right? Like you might actually yes, realize, yes. Like, oh, my high blood pressure is an issue, <laughs> right? And so that that's it creates a natural state of arousal. And so then how do we how do we interact with that right having these tools so that when the information is actually alarming legitimately so you know there are many women who sit in a doctor's office and get news that is alarming and, and then what absolutely right? because we're not just gonna, we're, we're not gonna avoid that right. situation
1: no Mm-mm. right absolutely and it all goes back to exactly what we're talking about is being in that relaxed muscle body not relaxed and everything's cool. Everything's fine. It'll be fine. Not at all like that. It is physiologically bringing that arousal down so you can take in that information. You can remember that information. You can make decisions as opposed to going with what somebody else is recommending. You can be an active participant in your care in choosing what that next step might be. And that next step, that choice might be, I just need to go home and cry for an hour. That's completely fine. That is completely fine, but you make that choice with conscious awareness, and that is only possible when you have parasympathetic nervous dominance. That is only possible when you can bring that arousal down. And yes, it sounds impossible until you experience it, and then you've retrained your body so it happens every single time, no matter how bad Mm -hmm. that news is. And crying is a great
0: example because we know that crying is actually a great way to to release those, you know, that like heightened hormonal interaction that's happening in our bodies when we experience stress. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to aid the return to the parasympathetic nervous system. And I think, you know, so many women allow themselves a moment of, a moment of emotion, right? But who, who goes home and cries for an hour? Not very many of us, right? And maybe that's what's needed sometimes. Maybe sometimes we just need to be with what is actually grief, what is actually a feeling of, of loss, of, of of expectation of what we think this experience should be like. And it's, and it's not looking that way, right? It's so valid to grieve that. And, and one of the things that you posted a while back that I shared and, and it's just a concept that I, I love so much is that, you know, time is not what heals us. It releases is what heals and we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can just bottle this stuff up and be okay. It, we just, we actually cannot. Time isn't going to make any difference. It's stored in our bodies and it is going to keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up until we actually are willing to 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 interact with it and, and be with it and then release it. Yes.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Cause as big as these feelings feel, and I have I have soap in there, they're never meant to be static. Mm-hmm they're d- designed to be transient. We just have to go through it and they will then go away. Yeah. And the impact of that loss, the sadness of that will still be there. The desire to, I wish my pregnancy had been different. I wish my birth had been different. That will s- certainly be there. That sadness will still be there, but it will not be this mm-hmm. big if we just let it through. Right. Well, that's a <laughs> let's
0: just sit with that for a moment, everyone. I love that so much. I love the work that you do and and the voice that you bring into this conversation. Um, for the women that are listening, you know, knowing that people are, you know, all over the map and and so many in this audience have experienced trauma of some kind or another, um, you know, infertility, loss, um, complicated birth, complicated pregnancy, for you know, for for that spectrum of of women and experiences, is there something that you would share that um, kind of transcends any unique experience as a
1: um, something that you really want people to take with them? I think it's it's the biggest lesson that I learned, having gone through this, is there really is so much power in our bodies. And as much as we feel like our bodies are against us, they're really just trying to work the most optimally that they can. And if we allow our bodies to do what they need to do, really amazing things can happen. And that's not to say that If bad things happen, like complications or preterm delivery or birth trauma, that it's our fault by any means. But we have access to a vault of information and tools and power that nobody else has because we are the only ones in our own body. And it is just incredible what's possible when we open up Mm -hmm. that vault. Yeah, I
0: love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing so openly with us today. I know that this is going to be really, really impactful for women. And can you tell us a little bit more about your book and how people can find you and how they can work with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can find me on my website, barijatdeshpande.com. And from there, you can find the link to my book, Pregnancy Brain, A Mind-Body Approach to Stress Management During a High-Risk Pregnancy. The book is a, a mix of The research and literature on the impact of stress on pregnancy health and wellness, Um, it it infuriated me that nobody is talking about this, especially in prenatal Mm. care. And when there's over 70 years of research that show how that sympathetic arousal impacts pregnancy health and what you can do about it. So it's a mix of that and a little bit of my personal journey to just discovering that as well as uh, bringing my son home. And you can find that on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And um, on my website, you can find um, my social media channels. There is my blog. I've got a podcast, Delivering Miracles. You can listen to episodes there. We talk a lot about pregnancy complications and trauma and stress and prematurity and just all the things that could happen on the family building journey that are anything but rosy and wonderful. So we talk about that there. Uh, And and if you want to work with me, all of my information about my programs are there as well.
0: Awesome. Well, we will share links to all of that on the show notes on our website. And Parijat and I will also be doing a follow-up conversation on Instagram. We're going to do a live follow-up on Instagram on July 30th at one thirty p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we're going to answer any questions that you guys have. So as you've listened to this episode, if there are questions that are like, I just really want them to go deeper on this, or I'd love for Parijat to Um, go, you know, explain this in more detail. Just send me an email at melissa at motherbirth.co and we will have those questions queued up and we'll answer those in our Instagram live. You can also obviously just join us in that conversation and participate live there and ask your questions. Um, It's I'm so excited to be doing these follow-up conversations. We did one with our last episode um, about conscious parenting, and it was a really, really powerful conversation and just so fun to have that format where we're we're going deeper, we're, we're connecting with you guys. Um, so join us on July 30th at 1.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a follow-up conversation about all of this good stuff, trauma, the nervous system, high-risk pregnancy. Um, can't wait. And so you can also connect with me on Instagram, motherbirth.co, if you don't already and thank you guys so much for listening today thanks for listening to motherbirth a special thanks to our editors sponsors and guests for this week's show to learn more about working with me one-on-one or in one of my online courses or group programs connect with me on instagram at motherbirth.co or at my website www.motherbirth.co where you'll also find amazing community conversations and free resources and don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode This show is created by Melissa Reeves, and it is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with a primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning to become pregnant, or are in the postpartum period. In this episode, I may use affiliate links to products and services that I know and trust. These are products I have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit this community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If I share something that includes a discount code, I may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting the show.